It's time for class. Civics just doesn't begin and end on election day. This is Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged with political strategist L. Joy Williams on Sirius XM's Urban View. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged. I am your host, your civics teacher, your neighborhood political strategist, Eljoy Williams. And of course, I'm always happy when you make it to class on Sunday mornings. Now, it is official. There is a $1 trillion, and everybody's focusing on the number, but it is historic, a $1 trillion bipartisan, that's the other thing that people are focusing on, whatever, infrastructure bill that was signed into law, and there will be huge investments across the country in transportation, in our water and sewer systems, internet across the country, particularly in rural areas that have not have access for some time. And I know I've been talking for a number of shows about my excitement about getting new and improved Amtrak lines because I'm a geek. What can I say? But also about electric vehicles, because perhaps I can convince my husband after all that we should get an electric vehicle, particularly since we usually drive vans. Removing lead pipes, because we live in an age where there are still lead pipes in communities, and particularly our children are still exposed to them. So there's so much in the bill that will allow states and local communities to upgrade infrastructure. But the other thing that I see about this is just jobs, 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 which is what a lot of us are probably looking at that and seeing, particularly if you work in businesses related to those industries, you know, your shareholders are excited about this money. Like people, you know, are excited about the projects and the shovel, the shovel ready projects and everything that'll be able to get done. And I've been talking about following the money from the federal level all the way down to your local community and making sure that the dollars in this infrastructure bill are equitably distributed in communities. And it's a good civic exercise right now to, you know, query your governor, your mayor, your state legislature, and ask them like, all right, what projects we got on deck? Like, how are we going to make sure the jobs that are going to come here, you know, are well-paying, good-paying jobs that can help grow a middle and working class? Like, you know, you're always looking for opportunities outside of an election cycle to engage and talk to those who represent you. And this is a good one. This is like, hey, Hi, Governor. Yeah. The infrastructure bill just passed. I would like to know what our state will be doing to solicit said monies and how we will make sure that young people, that the unemployed, you know, that communities, particularly rural communities and others and things like that across the country, you know, you know, are getting their fair share in this bill and what will come down to our community. So that's a good civic exercise that you should take little homework. So I'm following the money, but I'm also making sure that there's the next step, which is the Build Back Better Act. Because while we are investing in infrastructure, we also need to invest in people. We need to invest in moms. We need to invest in parents. We need to invest in so many other people and the Build Back Better Act, which we're going to talk about today, as well as some other items of the Build Back Better agenda. And also how, you know, corporations are trying to take over democracy, you know, again, 
and how they're thumbing their nose in this process. And so to do that, I am bringing to the front of the class um, Taifa Butler, the president of Demos. You know, back in my day, Ms. Butler, it was Demos, a network of ideas and actions. <laughs> and I say that because I actually started my career at Demos as a democracy assistant in the democracy program and then a democracy associate before I went off um, and did things in municipal government. But thank you so very much for joining us. So happy to have you. So glad to be here, Joy. Thank you so much for having us. So I'm going to start where I start with every guest by you sharing the story with us of your first civic action. Wow. So one of the things I remember about my first civic action, it might not be traditional in terms of sort of engaging in the streets and protests or anything like that, but I just remember having this big sense of wanting to be a leader and have a voice and make things better. And so I ran for my class presidency in eighth grade <laughs> uh, in my community and you know my local elementary school. And that was sort of my entree into representing the voice of people, my classmates and trying to address issues, but also bring folks together. So that was my first. And I, and I think that that worked so well for me in terms of just being a voice and a representative that I ran for office in ninth and 10th grade, I was junior class president, and then I was president of the service club, which was our SGA in high school, and continued to do that throughout my college and my graduate school experience. So just having that uh, appreciation for you know, representation and how to, to bring people together and to create an agenda and to connect with people about their needs and their concerns and you know, governance it was sort of how I came to, to the role of civic, civic power. I love that. And it's not out of the ordinary, actually. So many people who come to the front of the class here on the show share that they ran for class president or served in that capacity, was in the student body or, you know, the student body was a leadership in general. So it seems to be a trend. <laughs> you know, of people that we bring for this conversation. So it's not out of the ordinary at all. So, you know, before I brought you on, I was talking about the infrastructure bill and build back better agenda. And probably similar to you, I am a nerd and was really excited about the infrastructure bill because one, being able to upgrade the infrastructure that we have. And that has so many implications, not only on, you know, making communities better places, but on business in general, right? Like corporations and business folks like to think that they like do stuff on their own. And it's like, nah, dude, you still need a better, better highway system in order to be able to move your goods <laughs> from That's one right. place to the other, right? You need good sewer systems if you're going to have a factory over here. Like, so there's lots of things that are going to be affected by this infrastructure bill, not to mention going to Build Back Better, which we'll talk about in a moment. But you had some comments earlier once the bill not only was passed, but then signed by President Biden. What are your thoughts on the infrastructure bill? 
I mean, it's it's exciting to finally see this kind of level of investment and commitment. And I know you jokingly said in the opening about the bipartisan nature that seems to be underscored heavily uh, these days as this thing has passed. But, you know, when I, you know, doing work in Georgia before I got to Demos and just remembering our conversations about education and transportation, particularly for schools and school bus drivers and how uh, the infrastructure was so crippled that schools were rerouting school buses because they couldn't pass cross over certain bridges for safety reasons for their students. So, I mean, those are the kinds of things that this infrastructure package will enable us to think about writ large. It's not just about roads and bridges, but long term, people are safer, right? Um, they have better access. And for black and brown communities that have been underserved for so long when it comes to water, when it comes to sort of climate and broadband, for example, where you had during this this pandemic, so many communities, black and brown communities, rural communities, where they were sending school buses with hot spots into neighborhoods because there is no connectivity. Uh, that is something that's going to transform. This bill is going to transform that that infrastructure. And I think the, the other thing that really uh, resonates for me is that this is finally the public sector government making a decision to make investments. Where in the last many few years, and I would say probably more than that, you know, we have have leaned toward corporations to make these kinds of investments. And we've not committed to put our public dollars to something so critical for families, for American families in this country. So to me, this is a great way to at least show for roads, for bridges, for infrastructure, for water, for our environment, uh, for broadband, which connectivity is so critical right now for every family, that this is a great like foundation. And then, like you said, we got to finish the drill <laughs> with the build back better piece. You know, I, I'm trying to make it cool or exciting about the infrastructure piece. And to your point about relying on corporations and the company of the neighborhood town to sort of do these investments, right? So they can get their name on the thing, mm -hmm. right? And usually it comes in the form of like sports stadiums and, you know, we'll build the things necessary around our sports stadium to be able to support this thing that will make us money, but really don't bring a lot to the community except for like civic pride and community, you know, right. You know, and there's all sorts of research that shows that things like that, that projects like that, whether they be sports, you know, sports institutions, you know, big centers or things like that in the long term, they really don't do a lot for investment in the communities and those companies tend to only invest in the infrastructure that helps build that particular thing, mm -hmm. right? And so if that faulty bridge falls outside of the footprint, like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. But the streets directly in front of our sports stadium, like, you know, you can roller skate on those, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so when you have government actually invest in infrastructure, they are able to take, to use the money to invest in those things that are a bit further away that are not centered around areas that will make corporations more money, but actually help make communities more whole. 
That's right. I think to your point, improving the quality of life, period. You know, I, uh, one of my civic uh, engagements was running for the local school board here in 2010. I live in Henry County, a, a community or uh, south of about 30 miles south of Atlanta. And, you know, when I ran for school board, one of my big sort of uh, campaign points was community engagement. And how do you bring community voice and parent voice into our schools in a way that is engaging, is uplifting, that parents feel involved. And one of the things we saw was, you know, how do we invest even in these special projects around a penny sales tax, right? Um, and we've had many of these education special option sales taxes where we said, you know, if we all contribute an additional penny, it could help build more schools, right? It could help strengthen our education infrastructure for our students. And so that form of civic engagement where we are as a community committing our tax dollars to help build a better infrastructure and quality of life for our kids, for the community, for our properties, and all of that. So I think it just it goes across the board from, you know, our public sector government leaders making the investments with our tax dollars, but then us too as community being visionary enough to say these are the kinds of things that will improve our quality of life. What can we collectively do uh, to support that? And, then, and I think that's really important. You know, I advocated from the beginning of the introduction of this, that it should be called the Build new schools act um, <laughs> because you know yeah. one you know the last time we had a largest focus on building public schools was was that was it fdr no it was i can't remember which president it is right now but it was a large infrastructure and some of our public school some of our students are still in those schools That's right. <laughs> that were That's built right. back then right and the reason why you can't turn on the air conditioner and the lights at the same time in some schools is because the electricity and the wiring is old That's so right. i always thought that you would have been able to have much more excitement and investment if you just called it the build new schools act and because everybody wants, you know, new right. schools and infrastructure in that way. Now, let's move to how the Build Back Better agenda sort of bolsters the, you know, what was just passed. And, and putting in mind, you know, earlier, I think it was this week or last week, I don't know, the days are running together. I stood at a press conference with Senator Chuck Schumer about the omnibus momnibus leg legislation that is within Build Back Better, which talks about focusing on reducing disparities for Black maternal uh, health care. Right. The other piece is like reading the detail of it to actually be able to financially invest in doulas and midwives and, you know, ensuring those community organizations, but really these, you know, business women. <laughs> you know, who, yes, are birthing babies, but they're also a business in themselves to be able to, you know, pay them to be able to do the work that they do to help support, you know, women bringing life into the world. And um, it, it made me, it reminded me that there is so much, you know, we use the build back better and infrastructure piece, but don't really drill down for people like what this means to their lives and to their communities. And I was able to see 
just from reporters who were there at the press conference, there was something mentioned about what was in the act. And, you know, he was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know that was in there, <laughs> you know? And so there's so much in there that our community needs, but also that will point us to a more equitable economic future. And I know that's something that, you know, you and Demos are particularly focused on. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, you know, Demos's approach to this is people may know, you know, we've been around for 21 years and you were part of that early, early uh story is trying to look at the connect connection between political power and economic power. How do we advance and make sure that every voice is heard in our democracy, particularly the most marginalized voices? And so we have been trying for years now to ensure that Black and Brown communities who continue to face unprecedented barriers when it comes to casting a ballot, uh, to engage in civic, you know, their civic duty, right, is to make sure that there is, we can remove those. And at the same time, especially given this pandemic, is to make sure that we can have an equitable recovery. And I remember, you know, when the Great Recession hit us in early 2001, 2008, uh, you know, there was the early one in the 2000s, and then, and of course, the Great Recession, is, you know, Black and Brown communities had not fully recovered from the Great Recession, and now you have this pandemic-induced recession last year. And so it is even more uh, pivotal or important for us to think about how do we recover now, given the COVID recession. And so to see in this Build Back Better plan or framework, as the White House calls it, it is it has some key components that really, I think, will provide immediate support to the families most harmed, but also has a long-term lens that could really be transformative to helping people be more economically secure. I think the one piece of this that's really important is just looking at the tax code in and of itself. Tax policy tax laws have been written to benefit the top 1% corporations. They've always fared better based on how these tax laws were written in terms of income tax. And now you have an opportunity to expand the earned income tax credit, which benefits working families, low-income families who have children, who can provide additional funding for them in terms of their uh, tax tax liability, and then give them more money in their pocket. And the same with the child tax credit. We're really excited that that bill, uh, the CTC was included in the earlier relief packages, but now we want to make those things permanent, which can be an automatic support for families with children. And so if that, if those kind of transformative pieces and just tax policy alone, let alone all the other components around housing and healthcare and education, early education are, you know, added on to that, this can really uh, be huge for families, working families. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about uh, Demos and the work that Demos is doing now, as you mentioned, I started my career there and I mentioned earlier, but you know, it's been a while. <laughs> and so I want to hear more about and have you share more about the work that Demos is doing on the democracy front, on the economic justice front, not only nationally, but in some places and in, in some instances in some states. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Ms. Butler from Demos, President Demos. All the problems, all the things that 
you think that you must do to start in this world? Like when the teacher, schoolboy and schoolgirl come together. Who is the teacher? I go let you know. Who is the teacher? Welcome I back to Sunday Civics. I am Eljoy Williams, your civics teacher. And with me is Taifa Butler. And Taifa, I'm saying it right, right? Yes, yes. You, you see, you know, I know my phonetics, my black <laughs> phonetics here in my Swahili. Thank you very much, which I took four years of in college. <laughs> so did I did much to much to the annoyance of my advisor who wanted me to take French. She was like, if you are going to travel the continent and we all know what the continent is, yes. she was like, you would have a better time. Like learn. She's like, you know, English, obviously, but in French, right? Because there are more for you. You'll be able. She's like, unless you're going to Eastern Africa, like you know, to like all that, you should learn French. And I was like, I want to learn an African, like you know, I was in my Black Power Day thing, yeah. whatever. And she was like, actually, Swahili, you know, Swahili is a trade language, so it's a mixture of things. And I was like, but it is African. And she was like, okay. Or do you must have got the same memo because that's what I was thinking <laughs> French because I, I thought I was going to be an ambassador to Africa. That was sort of my intent. You know, I was mm-hmm. doing an international relations certificate, studying French and politics and economics, and that was going to be my thing. But after I took my first domestic policy course my junior year, I, I said, we got problems in this country. I'm staying right here. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah, I can, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> No, and I've been here ever since. <laughs> but I wanted to step back a bit because we, we dived in talking about domestic policy, obviously, and talking about what's in front of us and what's in the immediate news. But I want to step back a second and talk about the work that Demos does or is doing and specifically what uh, future does Demos envision as it pertains to democracy reform and economic justice? Oh, yes. So it's funny, you should ask, because we are going through a strategic plan process right now, you know, my first year, and really assessing the landscape in my last five months of being on the job is just, we need strategic clarity right now. There is so much that has changed given the 21 years, but even in the last four, right, since 2016, and sort of now 2020, like the the new cycle of where we are in terms of how we can govern uh, at the federal level, let alone at the state level is just a different landscape completely. So we are really been asking the question is how can we advance power for black and brown communities? That's what we hear our state movement leaders say when they're in their spaces and we're in the spaces with them. So we're also asking that of ourselves. What is the thing that Demos can do to help support the movement at the local level and the state level, but also sort of nationally, how can we do the both and? Because again, I think as much as we right now are dependent upon Congress to pass the Build Back Better uh, framework, which will help advance more economic policies that'll help black and brown communities and those most harmed from sort of this very, 
this this economy that has been structured in a way that has not been equitable. So if we want to address the inequities, Build Back Better helps us get there. But also the notion that the For the People Act or now the Freedom to Vote and the John Lewis uh, democ the voting bills, that those two are so important to thwart some of these efforts at the state level that are advancing voter suppression again, you know, in, in at this time in history when there has been so many people that showed up a historic turnout in an election cycle in 2020 to now have all of these states passing and introducing these voter suppression bills, which erect even more barriers to opportunity for communities to cast their vote and have a say in who's representing them. Um, and so to us, it has to be a both and. We've got to look at federal, but we also have to look at the states and really help our movement partners on, on the ground really think about strategy, which is one of the things I've heard. And then also uh, the, the, I would say the threats that we see at the state level, I think are more imminent than even the federal. So those are the things that we're thinking about right now as we sort of look internally around strategic planning. I think the other thing too, Joy, if I could just add is sort of this notion of democracy writ large um, that we want to help people understand is not just access to the ballot. Right. We want people to have a say in the economic forces that shape their lives. And so how do we think about economic democracy where in this racialized capitalistic society that we live in, that we can show that there is real civic power, that we can show examples of co-governance that's happening at the local level. We can show how people are looking and thinking about public goods, right, in a collaborative way where communities have a say, like with water issues, right? Um, and then also just thinking about how do we decentralize corporate power, which has been king since day one. <laughs> uh, and, and really, you know, again, helping more of the citizens have a say in this economy. So those are the yeah. things that we're really thinking about right now. You know, I to to that point really quickly, just uh, on economic justice and and equity in general across the board, even in 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 democracy. You make mention that that predatory capitalism that we are experiencing at its height right now. You know, because we've gone through ebbs and flows of it, it always comes back to predatory <laughs> capitalism in this country. Is I'm a I'm a bit discouraged in that way of our ability to advance economically in a more equitable way, given how much of a stronghold corporations have. And it's part of the reason why even in doing the show, I tell people, you know, the re one of the main reasons is not, you know, the money is a big indicator, right? As to the reason why corporations have such a stronghold on our democracy overall, but they also have the confidence to be more engaged and voice their needs and desires more because they have that money. And, and then we give over, we meaning the public, we meaning elected officials, we meaning the governor, we, you know, cater to them more because of that confidence, because of that money. And I'm always trying to, you know, train and encourage folks to, you know, to 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 throw off that shackle of inferiority that because you don't have money, you can't be engaged and, you know, push for your community elect representatives that will speak to the speak to the issues. 
I, I'm not naive to think that, you know, the fight alone, <laughs> you know, will get easier. But, you know, part of it is like, I, I never view myself as inferior, you know, and, and it's something I try to train people on, even to, you know, my kids, you know, my daughter was watching something on YouTube and I think one of the characters said, it's hard to say no to a rich person. And I was like, it is absolutely <laughs> easy to say no to a rich person, right? So it's like in our psyche, right? right? That because this person has money, if I'm an elected official, I got to respond to them. If I'm government, I have like, you know, the corporation will leave the town if we don't give them this, right? And we as people feel like, oh, they're just so powerful because it, like it's 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 part of also the mind collective mindset that we have that we kind of give in, not to put the blame completely on our shoulders, but it's the money and it's this feeling that we can't fight back. That's right. That's absolutely right. And what I'm excited about is seeing, you know, we're going to be doing some case studies, uh, releasing them, releasing them in early uh, 2022. That's going to show some real examples of communities pushing back. <laughs> uh, for example, with Virginia, you know, pushing against headquarter two with Amazon and how they were going to come in and, and drastically change the shape of their community and how the communities engaged uh, in that fight um, to protect that. And, and we have deferred to corporations for a long, long time in terms of our policy making, what has been best beneficial to them. And it's been on a flawed belief that, you know, corporations are the ones that create, um, you know, opportunities and jobs, the whole trickle down. Um, but then, you know, we have given away the store uh, for these kinds of, with these kinds of incentives and honestly have not seen the, in the evaluation that coming back to benefit communities. So I think we need to hold our lawmakers accountable, our policymakers accountable, and these corporations in terms of, are they being good citizens? And I think you see this pushback right now in the labor market is that people are now demanding, you know, you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth corporation and say we are all about diversity, equity, and inclusion and racial justice. And then you don't want to pay people a livable, decent wage, right? That there is a dissonance there. So I really think that we must not relent in speaking our truth uh, to power in terms of the quality of life we want, uh, the kinds of ways that we want to govern and have influence in these decisions that are being made for our community. And corporations, you know, probably won't naturally uh, step aside or share power and share space because it might not be in their best interest. But I think the government can help facilitate that through the rules that they make and how they uh, use these dollars and how they trickle down to our communities and allow communities to have a say in those kinds of investments. So that's where I think we start. We've got to continue to speak out. Yeah. So continuing on that, on that view, what are, you know, I, I've been reminding people that we have to follow the dollars, right? Like, you know, yes, the federal government approved and signed into law this $1 trillion bill, and, and hopefully there's more to come with our advocacy in terms of Build Back Better. But ultimately, the federal government spends a little bit of it, majority of that is going to go to the states, <laughs> you know, to then administer 
all of those projects, all of those things. And similar to your point about voting rights, where the meat and the battle happens in the states, we spend a lot of time focused on the federal government. And in a lot of instances, we, you know, we, we do, we have to, right? The money comes from that way. But then you get to the states, that's where there's more of a battle, particularly given the political makeup of our states, you know, that's where the 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 rubber meets the world, not only in voting rights, but in economic justice as well. So you may have, you know, a bridge, a rural community, lead pipes that need to be fixed, all of those things. But how do we make the connection between that money that's going to come from the federal government to it's going to come to your state and ensuring rural communities are have equitable access those projects are not just in some communities and not in others, right? Like how, how do we, what do we look for in that aspect? Yeah, I think this is where communities need to follow the money, you know, as we've been talking about for years doing state policy work with the fiscal lens that I had on the budget, state budget particularly, is the budget is the number one legislation that has to pass every state legislature, right? And it shows what the priorities are and who the state and the leadership is valuing. And so if, if, we can get into spaces where the budget is being debated from the state agencies to the state houses and really make our case about the types of investment our communities need in education and healthcare uh, and other kinds of uh, infrastructure needs, that that's going to be one way that we can follow the dollars. We can actually look at these budget spreadsheets and the tracking sheets to see what, what's being appropriated and then at the end of the day, what passes. And then in terms of implementation, especially given these federal dollars. Um, I'm already fearful, and so are many of us around this country, that those dollars, like you said, Eljoy, will not get to the communities that they're intended to. So this is where we've been asking the Treasury Department to, especially in the second tranche of funds, to make sure there, there are rules in place to ensure these state agencies and budget writers and you know departments that are allocating these dollars have a very clear, open, transparent process that can Communities can see where those dollars are going and have some say uh, and accountability back to those agencies. So I think that's one place we can also make sure that all the intentions from this federal tranche of all the CARES Acts and the ARPA is getting down to the communities. And I think state state. Uh, leadership, particularly these governors, um, who are, to me, uh, thwarting some of the intentions of the federal government and really undermining what can be done to ensure a, an equitable recovery have to be held to account. And so, you know, in a C3 capacity, right, to talk about why our civic voice is so important, we, there, I believe, are 35 governorships that are up for re-election this year uh, in 22. So here's a moment, right, where the communities can step up and look at their state leadership and call the question, what have you done with these federal dollars to make sure that they are getting to the communities that need to be served? And I think that should be a huge mandate for these governors in the next year. Mm. And, and Demos just released a report talking about the corporations and other folks that are, you know, doing a whole movement against the Build Back Better agenda because they want to continue to have money for themselves. And, you know, it's all, <laughs> this scarcity model that we put people 
that that fear is just like if we give more money to people, there will be no more money for us as corporations. And if we give more money to people in rural communities or native people, then will there be enough for black people? Like the scarcity model that we force people into is that if we invest in another community that may need from an equitable distribution standpoint, that that somehow takes away from you rather than coming to the table and seeing how we can all be able to lift communities, you know, impact your business. Right. And, and I always think there's a separation and I think it's important to make that note between you know, some small business owners who are invested in their community, who hire within their community, the mom and pop shops and things like that. That's different than sort of large multinational or large, even just in the United States, corporations who are greedy. And a lot of times the narrative is putting the two together And therefore giving this fear to the mom and pop that if I grow, if I, you know, we can't change the tax policy, even though I'm not there yet, because when I get there, then it's going to impact me. Right. So I I think it's important. I don't see a lot of organizations, a lot of folks doing this and doing that separation. Like we're not talking about your local drugstore or even, you know, your hardware store that has 16 stores in your county. We're talking about (laughs) large corporations with, you know, sometimes are multinational, sometimes being more predatory in countries that have laxer laws and getting so much from our country here. Right. I mean, our report with People's Action, uh, the Behind the Curtain uh, is a title, you know, showed that there are hundreds of millions of dollars that corporations are spending right now lobbying Congress to not pass this Build Back Better uh, act, which is problematic. And and the, what we've seen across the board in terms of public sentiment and public will is that the components of this Build Back Better are hold very, very well. Expansion of Medicaid, right? Uh, Child care support uh, in terms of bolstering that industry, uh, housing supports and affordable housing. All of these things are hyper important for the average working family, but yet corporations are spending dollars to make sure that these things don't pass. And you look at the top 50 uh, American corporations pay zero in income taxes or corporate taxes in this country. So again, we believe that corporations need to pay their fair share. They ask for infrastructure. They want good infrastructure to move their goods up and down a road. They they talk about wanting a strong workforce, but yet, you know, we have an ailing, failing public education system because it continues to be undermined because we don't fund it. So these are the things that are hyper important to make sure that our economy is strong and corporations who are a huge actor uh, in this economy don't want to do the right thing. So I think we, again, need to make sure that we are not centering corporations in our economy. And this is where people, uh, people's actions, our report, uh, where other states are really trying to think about an economic vision that puts people at the center. Uh, because again, if, if our communities aren't faring well, if families aren't economically secure, at the end of the day, our economy won't be. We will continue to have racial inequity uh, writ large across our economy. And again, that is that does not put America on a strong economic footing at all. So those are the things that concern me most as we continue to kowtow to the interests of corporations. 
Well, we're going to take our last break. And then when we come back, let's talk more about voting rights and democracy reform in general. And, you know, I'd like like for you to sort of do a vision action with us for a minute. And let's 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 share our perfect world (laughs) of democracy in the United States. How would we reform it? Because one of the things that pains me always is that. I feel like the country is always stuck in this moment of trying to get back to a founder's ideal when, you know, it it was created in a way that allows for change. And why do we keep trying to go back instead of changing? But when we come back, (laughs) I want to put that question to you, a visioning of a change and what a greater democracy looks like when we come back after the break. How can it be that you love the most unlovable part of me, of me? How could you see your life was the only gift I ever need to be free? It's amazing. All right, welcome back. I'm L. Joy Williams, your neighborhood political strategist with Taifa Butler from Demos. Do y'all still use the tagline, a network of ideas of action? Or is that is that like eons ago now? Yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just on our official tax doc- documents. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I remember that because I used to get it beat into me that like you have to have the full thing and like, into the thing. So, yeah. But so before we broke, you know, one of the things that pains me and it's not only pains me about uh, politics, it, it it's about life in general. I have this uh, funny thing that my my assistant June knows where I say the reason why we haven't been able to get beyond, you know, the the Milky Way is because humans just like we, we won't evolve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, we don't evolve because we have to spend so much time focusing on racism and you being sexist and men just being basic and want to be like, I'm basic and I'm a caveman and I can't get it was just like, do you not do you not get tired of not evolving, like you're just gonna stay stagnant in this place, like the whole time. Like it takes so much energy. We don't have time, Taifa, to think about how we can get to other worlds or develop other things or create new things because we have to. We're bogged down with this other stuff, That's and right. it's 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 you know even element in our own biology. It was just like I would like to use all aspects of my brain, but I feel like I'm stunted because humanity is stunted. And I feel that way about democracy, right? We, all of our arguments are focused on this is the way it should be, this is the way it was created, this is what is. And in my private research reading time, I'm always like, well, some random person, usually a man created this thing in the first place. So can't someone else create something new that would kind of be better? I mean, we do it with products all the time and it's like, well, socialism is this and capitalism is this. I was like, well, can't we create another ism that would be more equitable and inclusive and would actually uplift everybody so we can we can go beyond the moon? I don't. Taifa. That's a lot. Can you envision a different future that doesn't fit into the narrow box? of existing democracy how do we expand it in your in in your imagination 
that's a great question. And you made the point that, you know, we make it binary, right? Like it has to be either or zero sum, you know, businesses win, families lose. And we see that again, a lot written into our economic policies and our fiscal policies where it always benefits one group and not the other. Um, or when we're talking about investments, people feel like they're losing because they're not getting the investment. So it goes back to me of thinking about our values as humanity and can we bake those into whatever re we rewrite. And I was just uh, doing a panel discussion with some new authors, Manuel Pastor and Chris Brenner out of California, who just wrote Solidarity Economics, right? And just thinking about a different framework for how we reset this economy that has been very exclusionary. Uh, and if we go back to, you know, debunking like individual behavior and individual choice and personal responsibility and less government and really think about mutuality in our economy and how, you know, collaboration and innovation can happen that benefits us mutually, that that is something that we can do. And there are glimmers and hopes of that happening, even in this racialized capitalistic society that we live in. So if there are glimmers happening now, um, how do we then move them up and push the push them out so that we can really uh, push back on these constructs that have been inequitable from, inequitable from day one. And to me, just thinking about this, the trends in this country that America will be a majority people of color nation in the next 10 to 15 years. To me, that vision of democracy is that every person in this country has a representative that that sees them, that they then care, that they those reps care about their interests, and that, that it's not moneyed interests that that rule the day, that everybody can invest and engage in the civic world we live in, but also have political power that will then help inform and improve their economic power. So to me, that's the world that we want to get to where there's true economic and political power for everybody in this nation, regardless of the zip code you live in, your race, your ethnicity, your culture, your immigrant status, that there is true power shared amongst all of us so that we can help support and build the world that we want. I love that vision. <laughs> and I and I agree with you we can get there and it's 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 one breaking as you mentioned that scarcity model like there isn't enough I'm a person of faith and so I believe you know there there's the 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 story of how God provides for the birds who are not you know for the birds for the fish in the sea like or whatever yes. which means that we have all all that, that we, we need, need exists and is here Right. And the mere fact that there are families and there are children going to bed hungry that people don't have, but that is all by hum human design. That's right. Right. That's like right. we have designed a system, we have designed politics, and we have designed an economy that creates that. That's right. Not that there, there doesn't exist the ability to be able to provide in that way, it's just our will. That's right. And being able to break that even within us, because I have it, you know, in me too, even having that visioning, right? Mm -hmm. You have to sometimes break within yourself what you believe is, <laughs> you know, yes. it's just like, why, why do I, why do I think that way? Or like, you yeah. know, one, you were brought up that way. You're in a society that makes you think that way and being able to um, break that really from a democracy standpoint in terms of our politics that we can, we can change it. That's yes, right. the, we can change the Constitution. There's actually a way to change the Constitution in the Constitution. Ah, 
<laughs> we 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 kind of did it all the time it, right. like at, like at some point and actually not only taifa did we change it we changed it once and then changed it back when we realized that it worked so maybe you know i don't know we we created process for that to happen so we yeah. can do that here and um do that so that people do not have to consistently live in this persistent state of poverty or struggle Right. which is again human created that's not, right it's not god created nope. so taifa i i i am with you in creating that better that better future it seems large and grand but i want to give you the 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 final note here that if you are talking you're in the front of the class you're talking to folks who share that future who share that vision for the future and they want to start now. They want to engage where they are now. Talk to that person about what steps you would advise them to do, not only for themselves, but for their local community, which is where we have the best opportunity to have say, the best opportunity to see successful results, right? Because you know, chipping away at the federal is hard. That's right. But speaking to that individual who's listening right now, who is starting or is going to start in their state, in their local community, in terms of trying to push towards that vision of the future, what is your advice to them? I would say this because uh, just to frame this up as to the why their voice is needed. You know, I've worked in the research think tank space for 20 some little bit, 20 years. And as I've gone to state capitals, particularly this one in Georgia for about 17, 18 years, and I've taken papers and I've talked to policymakers about solutions and what they should do. They've said to me, Taifa, I appreciate this, but I haven't heard from my constituents. So they use that as an excuse when they know how to do better by, you know, the research, the data, you know, we've given them the facts, right, to make an informed decision, but they're looking for their constituents to give them that political will push. And so this is where I say to you, get to know who is representing you at all levels of government. You know, you live in a community, so whether it's a neighborhood leadership, home homeowner association, or a community board, then there's also your city council your mayor. Uh, there's also your local legislative delegation who's representing you at the state capitol. Uh, and then, of course, the, the uh, higher positions, your state, your Senate, Senate and um, Congress, Congressperson. So I would say just to get involved in knowing what is happening at those intersections in your life, right? Your community, how can you get involved in some of these local boards? Uh, also, how you can show up at the Capitol and just hear what's happening with the budget, which is the number one piece of legislation that affects each and every one of us in our states. And then, of course, uh, there are ways to engage in sort of the federal level uh, from Congress, which is a little further away. But I certainly say go to your local, uh, if you are, are a parent, go to your local parent teacher association or organization meetings. If you are, you know, in a county government situation, go to your county commission, your city council, uh, but do engage because those are the policy decisions that are going to affect your home 
home values, your community, uh, the way you live, your quality of life. And I think that's most important. But stay informed. Do your reading and research. Fact check, double check. You can't believe everything you see on the internet. So you have to also become a researcher. You have to take responsibility for the information you're intaking and validate it, verify it, uh, just to make sure it's, it's true. Uh, and then, of course, let that inform how you engage as well. And then sign up for all the things. Continue to listen to El Joy on Sundays. Follow Demos. Uh, go to our website. Follow us on all the, all the social handles. Um, but definitely stay involved. Taifa Butler, the president of Demos. Thank you so very much for coming to the front of the class here on Sunday Civics. Hope to have you back to talk more about that vision for the future and uh, what we can do to be strategic to make it happen. Thanks to all of you for joining us for Sunday Civics, another Sunday morning. I am your host and your neighborhood political strategist, Eljoy Williams, and we'll be back next Sunday with more of Sunday Civics. It's cool.